church is, there's a lot of misconceptions, and this has become, this has always been a problem, but I, I would say in the last 50 years, and in particular the last 15 years, it has become such a big deal. Like, what is a church? You can have a group of guys that would gather around a beer and a pub talking about theology, and they would consider themselves a church. You have a group of folks sitting around a, cu- a cup of coffee and would say, you know, hey, we're, we're a church, or if a family gets together, or a couple of families get together in a home, and they do a little Bible study in the morning, or um, at night or whatever, and they'd say, hey, we're, we're a church. In fact, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, um, you know, I'm there in their midst. I mean, doesn't that mean that it's a church? And the problem is that passage where Jesus said that was about church, it was about conflict. And he was saying, if when two or people are gathered to, to confront somebody else who's in sin as part of the church, and they're gathered in my name to be doing my business, I'm in their midst. And so I would argue that, that those aren't examples of, of the church. Now, the church can, believers can gather in all kinds of different things, but that does that constitute a church biblically or historically? So what is a church? And that's what we want to deal with today. So there's a little bit of a history. It's going to be a little Bible study. And we're going to talk about church membership a little bit. Um, this isn't a sales pitch here. This is just a necessary part of us growing up as the body of Christ. We're two years old here, so we're getting our, our legs. We're walking a little bit. we got some teeth. I guess we're coming have come in and we're learning to be a little self-sufficient, put our, you know, um, you know, clean up our toys and things. And, and so we're a little toddler church and there's some things we need to know formatively um, as we're going up. And so for some of you kind of checking out Cross Life, this maybe will be um, hope this will be encouraging to you just to understand why we do what we do and some of the, the methodology behind things we don't necessarily talk about every Sunday, but it's a part of who we are. I talked last week about there's two factors you got to think about. And if we're going to live for, the, for, for God biblically, there's orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is that we have right beliefs, that we teach rightly. Orthopraxy is that we have right actions, that we, that we live what we talk about and that we structure things in a healthy way that, um, that, is, gonna, that, that is modeled biblically um, and, and to, to set the church up to flourish the best. And I would say, make no mistakes, there's a thousand different ways to do church and there's tons of different denominations in fact, a lot of people get frustrated and, you know, I'm against institutional church and so many different denominations, so many different kind of churches. Why is that? Well, the reason is because of uh, a couple things. Um, and I, we've talked about this in the past. I want to go into too much detail on this, but, but at, at a surface level, the reason why there's different denominations and different kind of shades of Christians, okay, um, is because people believe a little differently in how to organize the church and how to practice the ordinances of the church, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper. And that has distinguished people. Now, there's a lot of other reasons today um, within those groups that, that structure things differently. Now, they have vastly different views of the authority of the Word of God. And many of those groups don't even believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. Just part of it's the Word of God. The little bit that speaks to you, that's the Word of God. And so they're, they're arguing over crazy things because they have gone into liberalism in their view of Scripture, a very liberal, ungodly, unbiblical view of Scripture, and, and have walked away from um, their, the foundations and the moorings of their even um, historical faiths in those different denominations, okay? There's a reason why there's distinctions. And so we want to, instead of talking about all the differences, let's focus on biblically, what, what is it supposed to be? What is the church supposed to be like? And so what is our orthopraxy or praxis supposed to, um, supposed to be like? So to understand how the church should function, we must rethink church really as a family um, and, and ask the question, am I committed to Jesus and am I committed to his people? We live in a radically individualized culture where everybody's doing their own thing. And we, part of being a part of the church, the body of Christ, is to say, I'm committed to Jesus. And because I'm committed to Jesus, I'm also committed to his people. And that's kind of what we're, that's the framework for what we're thinking about. 
What does my commitment look like? What is my time? What is my service? What is my, uh, my love and affection? What is my money, my talents, my gifts, uh, my, my honesty, my life, uh, my sanctification process? Is it committed to Jesus and to his people? Or do I just, am I doing that in my own little deal all by myself on my own island? You know, for many people, the, the prevailing attitude about church is, you know, I'm here tentatively um, for now, at least for the immediate future, I think. You know, that's how most people, it's a very non-committal and individualistic. And, and in fact, arguably, you could say a lot of people, they're just dating the church. I mean, they drop in every once in a while, they got a relationship going, but they're not really willing to really commit their lives. And that's one of the reasons why we at Cross Life believe biblically and we practice um, and we'll continue to practice as we grow. And you saw today um, church membership. What is that? It's kind of a marriage. It's kind of a saying, you know what? I'm just going to confess. I am in. I'm all in. I'm, I'm committed. And I am committed. You can count on me and I will count on you. And I want to I want to declare by this process. Whether you would draw it up that way or like it the way, it, but just to say, you know what? I don't really care. about. I just want to whatever way I need to declare that I'm completely in, I'm in for you. And and I'm in um, for me and to see what God's going to do. And so we're part of the family. We're married. There's a guy that was involved in a um, I heard a story of a guy that was in this Jeep club and uh, bought a Jeep and was fired up about um, having a Jeep. And, and so he joined the Jeep club and, uh, and he gave all kind of time. There was like twelve hundred or fifteen hundred. I think it was fifteen hundred uh, members in the Jeep club. Um, in his area and so he would give all kinds of time to to that club they would go do trail runs and learn the finer details of four-wheeling and they go clean up runs to be able to you know so it'd be nicer when they go out there and do different things out in nature and he would he was all in he did all kind of stuff and then uh but with his church he just he, you know he was there but but if they had a work day or a ministry day or a service day or a missions day or whatever he may show up may not show up it just kind of depended on what was going on and he heard a guy talking about this concept of are you dating the church or are you married to the church and he came under great conviction. He realized, you know what? I'm married to the Jeep Club, and I don't really care about the church. I mean, I'm marginally involved in it. And he he divorced the Jeep Club, and he married the church. Not to say that the Jeep Club wouldn't be a great opportunity for outreach, which I think he continued to use it for that. But it shifted to where he believed he realized he was giving all his time to something that was temporary instead of something that is in, in a, a biblical expression of the wisdom of God being displayed to the principalities and rulers of the air. God is displaying his wisdom through the church as he's brought a motley crew of individuals together to be one body from vastly different backgrounds. And there's something super natural and amazing going on. We gather together and we love Jesus and we love one another. And he began to catch a vision for that and his life um, has never been the same. It's a pretty awesome thought. Now, uh, to, to summarize this, let me give you kind of three categories. For many people, they have traded the one another's in the Bible, which we'll look at in a sec. Well, let me read them for you. The one another's like John 13, um, 34, love one another. Um, we're told in Romans 12, 5, be devoted to one another. Romans 12, 10, honor one another. Um, rejoice with one another. Romans 12, 5, you can email me if you want this list, but I'm just going to read you the verses. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens forgive one another encourage one another offer hospitality to one another confess our sins to one another james 5 pray for one another james 5 we've traded the one another's for either the ought to's or the i don't have to's we've got three categories of people there's a there's a minority there's a remnant there's a small group that get the one another's and they're there for one another and the mutual 
um, edification, encouragement that comes with the body of Christ gathering. But then there's, there's two other categories. There's a group of people that profess to know Jesus and they go to church because you ought to do this. You ought to do it. And, and that is a, let me just say, that's a false gospel. When you say Jesus plus any other thing, you're creating a false framework, a false gospel. You ought to go to church. You ought to be baptized. You ought to tithe. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. And it's all about loyalty and duty rather than delight. Love one another. Yeah, we've got hospitable to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Be there for one another. Carry one another's burdens. One another. This is a delight thing. Man, we are honored that we have the, the, the privilege of loving Jesus and loving his people rather than, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. I mean, how would that work in a marriage? Well, I'm going to go ahead and marry you, honey, because uh, would you marry me? I, I want to marry you because I, it's, I think we, I ought to marry you. It's the right thing to do. Do you love me? I'm, I'm committed. Okay, well, that's a great framework for a great marriage, isn't it? So there's the ought to crowd, but then there's the other crowd that says, well, I don't, and it's not necessarily you guys on the side of the room, so I don't want to be calling you out. But this is the, I don't have to. I don't have to. Man, you know, two or three are gathered. I can just have the Bible and a couple of Christian friends. We'll talk about, you know, God's still, I'm, listen, I meet God better in the woods than I do with whatever. I meet with God better in the shopping mall. Or I meet with God better on whatever. And I don't have to. And I got freedom in Jesus and I can do whatever. It doesn't really matter. And you know what? They're missing out on something that God has, a blessing that God has for them. These people think they have it and they're miserable and they just, they're, they're, they're the mirror. They haven't looked in the mirror when they're at church to know how miserable they are. This group is, they don't really, they, they're missing out on a blessing. And this group, man, they're living a different kind of life. And we want to be that church. We want to be the one another church. We don't want to be the ought to church. We don't want to be the doesn't matter church. Listen, if you're not here, when you're not here, okay, there's no guilt. There's no, um, you should have been here. I can't believe it. But, but I, do, I, I do want to step a little further past that and say, but you are missed when you're not here. Why? Because we need one another. We need one another. There's, there's many of you that you, you've been coming across life for you know, not that long. And uh, your first Sunday, you might have come and you might have a lot of people loving on you and encouraging you that are cross life regulars. And then are, but there might have been some cross life regulars that were out, weren't here for, for legitimate reasons, maybe for not legit, whatever. And, and if you miss, uh, you miss a Sunday when you could be here and you don't do whatever you can to be here, understand that you miss a blessing and there's other people that God is bringing to us that miss a blessing of being encouraged by, by you. I'll give an example um, of that. To see you guys here last week, and then um, God um, brought somebody that you knew um, that, that I didn't know that you, you guys knew, that you were able to be an encouragement, somebody visiting for the first time that took a risk, that came to church, intimidated, not really sure what it's going to look like inside this big theater building, and they came in, and they were here, and you were able to encourage them, and, be, and there was a connection there. Hey, I know you, we know you, and, and that was huge. And had, God, had you guys not fought through all of the challenges to be here, that connection wouldn't have been made, that blessing wouldn't have happened and I, we could have been friendly, but it wouldn't have been the same way that God would use that conversation that you guys would have. They mean to text you that all week and I haven't gotten around to it. So I'll just go ahead and share it right now. So that's a great example of when we aren't here, you know, the, the, we, we miss a blessing to be an encouragement to other people. You don't just come just to, you know, roll in, skip the music, skip the sermon, skip this, whatever, and you just do your little thing. And then you head out. You, you understand that we're here to gather with one another to love one another, to encourage one another, to, to be there with one another, to share one another's life, to get to know one another, which is why life group's such a big deal for us. And so many churches, again, you have the ought to's and you have the I don't have to's, but we want to be the, the one another church. John Stott said it this way, if the church is central to God's purpose as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely 
also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the the circumference what God has placed at the center? How dare we push to the side what God has placed in the center? Joshua Harris, in a book, uh, Stop Jading the Church, he said this, after all, the power of the church is a community, as a community and in the community starts with its example. As our generation knows too well, hypocrisy, this is the ought to group, hypocrisy destroys a church's witness and leaves its message, message discredited. A church committed to glorifying God and reaching the lost world will not only have membership committed to one another, but will clearly define what that membership requires. It will want to be able to answer clearly everyone who asks who is truly part of the church and who is not. So what is a church? Let's look at the historical definition. Brief, brief discussion here. Um, before the Reformation in the 1600s, okay, 16th century, better yet, the church was assumed as something that just was. I mean, you had the Catholic church that from about 300 to, um, to the 16th century, the Catholic church had kind of dominated everything, um, kind of began in the, in the 300s to, to become central, and, uh, and that branched off at different times too. But it was just kind of assumed what the church was. And then at the Reformation, um, they begin to it, the, the church had become so divergent. The Catholic means universal. The universal church, as expressed in the Roman Catholic Church, um, had become so divergent from Scripture. There was so much um, false teaching and, and, and traditionalism and things that had that had crept in uh, decrees by popes and leadership that were that were contradictory to Scripture, that violated Scripture. That a group of people led by Martin Luther initially, stood up and said, this is wrong. And he came up with 95 points of why it was wrong, the 95 Thesis, nailed it to the, the door of Wittenberg, the, the church that he taught in. And, and that was the beginning of the Reformation. And from that point on, people began to go, you know what? Let's go back to Scripture alone. And salvation is by grace through faith alone. Salvation isn't through a church. And salvation um, and, and the truth is not, conf- is not um, held by a group of leaders in a one organization that have a language that everybody else doesn't know, and they get to hold that truth. And don't, no, the, the word of God is for everybody, so let's, let's translate it into everybody's language, and let's make it accessible to everybody, and let's make it the foundation and basis of everything we do as far as gathering the people of God. And so they begin to, to, to search and find out. And so here's what um, surfaced as a definition during, um, in 1530, uh, Melanchthon wrote in the Osberg Confession, this is how he defined a church. And this, this definition, simple but profound, has held weight to this day. The church is, and here it is behind me, the church is the congregation of the saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments, or you could say ordinances, are rightly administered. In other words, Lord's Supper and uh, baptism. It's the place where the gospel is rightly taught and the practice is, is rightly administered, practice of the ordinances. Then in Calvin's Institutes of Christian Religion, um, book number four, chapter one, section nine, Calvin writes, wherever, this one's not on there, but wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, in, in other words, the way God, Jesus said to do it, there it is not to be doubted, a church of God exists. So let me say it again. Wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution when he says purely preached and heard understand it doesn't mean purely preached and purely heard as in everybody's like yeah that was a good sermon but purely heard as in like 
the parable of the four soils, the fourth soil that receives the seed and it takes root and it produces fruit in their life. That's what he means by heard. Okay, it's received, implemented into your lives and, and internalized and it produces fruit. A lot of churches, they hear sermons every Sunday and it's not heard and received, doesn't take up root. And they're like the first three soils, uh, Luke chapter eight. You can read that later uh, during lunch. So later church discipline was clarified um, through some. Some felt like it was assumed in the proper administration of the sacraments and ordinances. But Edmund Clowney, he defined the marks of the church as this. Second definition, true preaching of the word, proper observance of the sacraments. And then he added a third thing and faithful exercise of church discipline. Church discipline, what does that mean? That means that we hold one another accountable, that our lives testify to, um, that, we, that we don't just talk a talk, but we walk the walk. That's what church discipline uh, does. Now, going on, Mark Dever, he put this, uh, kind of this is a summary of some things he said in my own words, but putting his thoughts together. Simply put, the church is born and created by the right preaching of the word. The church is preserved and distinguished by baptism and the Lord's Supper, rightly administered. Simply put, the church is born and created by the right preaching of the word of God. The church is preserved, secondly, and distinguished by baptism and the Lord's Supper. So when we baptize somebody, we're, we're distinguishing them as a follower of Jesus. And so to, to become part of a church in a congregational, elder-led kind of context of how we would do church um, and people like us, uh, you would we would say uh, somebody can join certainly by a confession of saying, hey, I follow Jesus. I've been baptized by biblical baptism um, and and I want to become part. And that's fine. But uh, but if they have not been baptized since they've been a believer and followed Jesus, we would encourage them to be baptized because that's the first way of displaying. Hey, I'm part of this church. And that's part of the preservation I mean, and the distinction of being marked as a follower of Jesus, being identified with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And then the Lord's Supper is how we're preserved. Not that it keeps us saved, but that's kind of the strobe light that whenever we do that, which we will do Lord's Supper in a couple weeks, whenever we do the Lord's Supper, it's recognizing these are the people that have followed Jesus. And so they are partaking and they're, they're commemorating the death, burial, resurrection and remembering um, that Jesus said, do this until I come. So we're thinking about the second coming of Jesus and we are making sure that there's no junk in our lives. So it's a little time to clean house internally. Uh, and we partake in, in the Lord's Supper, the body, the bread that represents his body. Um, I'm sorry, the body and the blood representing his body, his blood broken for us, shed for us. And we do that to remember what he has done. And that is a um, preservation of in a, a revealing of those who have followed Jesus, identify with one another through baptism. And, and they're continuing to identify as they gather together and, and celebrate Jesus, death, burial, resurrection through the Lord's Supper. Church is preserved and distinguished by Baptist Lord's Supper, rightly administered. Now, Mark Driscoll, um, in a book, he, he kind of gave a little fuller definition that incorporates some other stuff into this that I think is really good. This is the last technical definition I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you, and then we're going to continue to talk about some of these distinctions. But he said, the local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord in obedience to to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership. You say, well, do you have to have a pastor? Do you have to have a leader? Do you have to, you know? Well, I mean, clearly Ephesians chapter five, it says that, um, Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter four says that he gave to the church, gifted to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. And um, Titus and in first Timothy were given some very clear distinctions and guidelines of what the character of these 
men are supposed to be um, as elders or bishops or pastors, whatever you want to call them. In Acts chapter 20, all three of those terms are used synonymously. The same words, uh, well, different words are used to talk about the same office, the same person. So we as a church, we do not believe in bishops. We don't believe that there's a bishop that's over a bunch of churches. We are an autonomous church. Now, we partner with other churches. We have accountability with other churches, but we're an autonomous church. Nobody tells us what to do. Nobody appoints our leadership from the outside and tells us who's going to do this and who's going to do that. We don't have any overseeing board because that's not a biblical concept. The congregation and those that have identified themselves as members, that's why it's important for us to identify our membership because these are the people that, that feel the weight as we continue to grow that will be the decision makers as we are making decisions on the direction that God leads us when we have major things to pray about and think about. They affirm our leadership. They affirm budgets. They'll affirm um, major changes in different things. They don't affirm whether we are going to have cupcakes after the um, service. They don't affirm whether we are going to, should we buy um, you know, a new computer or should we do such and such. I was at a church. The church had a meeting, and, and they, um, to educate people on, on um, to vote on whether the church secretary need to buy, they need to buy a computer for the church secretary, and they wanted everybody to vote on that because any purchase over like $500 had to be voted from the, by the church. It might have been less than that at that time. And so uh, they were trying to educate everybody on what, this is going to date us a little bit, on what a 386 computer was. Anybody know what that is? Okay, before the Pentium. Does anybody know what, everybody know what a Pentium computer? Pentium 3, Pentium 4. Before the Pentiums was the 486. Before the 46 was the 386, the 286. And before that was a house that, it, that had some clip, some, some digital stuff in it. And that was a computer. Um, and so, uh, so they're trying to educate the whole church on what a computer was, which was totally new. Most people didn't even have one in their home. And yet they're trying to educate. They spent more money on copy pages. Okay, they, they bought more reams of paper to give everybody in the church a whole packet to define, to help them understand what a computer was rather than just buy the stinking computer and let's go out there and talk to some lost people about Jesus. That would have been far greater for the computer. But they gotten so distracted and stuff. And so qualified leadership frees you up to where we can push forward and be about the ministry. And um, qualified leadership is our shepherds that, uh, that feed the sheep, equip the sheep for ministry. Not, they don't do everything for the sheep. That's what a lot of churches are. The pastor is the only employee that a lot of people are going to um, have that they can tell what to do and whatever. You know, that's not the heartbeat. The pastors are, are gifted to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to feed the, the sheep, and then also to chase off wolves. One of the jobs, and, and that's already happened. I mean, I, before, we even, um, before we even begin gathering weekly, some wolves came that said, hey, we want to be a part of Cross Life Church. Why don't we kind of combine? We've got this group that's meeting. You guys come. You're a body looking for, uh, you're a head looking for a body. We're a body looking for a head. You, we can work together. And it was a church split that wanted us to come lead their thing and that become Cross Life Church. And that was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And so God had called us to be shepherds and make a hard call and go, mm, let me pray about it. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> that's not what God has called us to do. And had we done that, that church has split three times since then. Okay, and that was, we dodged a bullet by God's grace. Why? Because God has called us to be shepherds, make some of the calls to not, we just, you got to be distinct on who God has called us to be. And so backing up the definition, local church, community of regenerate believers who confess Jesus as Lord in obedience to scripture. They organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for the preaching and worship observance uh, and observe the biblical ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. I love this. They're unified by the spirit. See sermon last week and the week before. Unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness and scattered to fulfill the great commandments. Love Lord God with all your heart, mind, so love one another, your neighbor as yourself. And then the great commission, take the gospel to the nations. 
as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. Beautiful definition. Great definition. Again, any of this stuff you don't have time to write down, email me. I will be glad to send it to you. And let's talk about for a moment. I want to share with you why is it important to have church membership? And is that even a biblical concept? Because 